All right. Well, since it's determined that most people didn't see what was up there on Facebook, we'll give you the <laughs> the rundown on this. Can God deal with you as mature? For most Christians, the answer to that is probably no. That he has to deal with us as immature. But here in this passage, we're going to look at how God can deal with us as mature. God expects to deal with us as mature. But the responses we have to God sometimes keeps us in the immature category instead of the mature. Just like we do with our own kids. When the, when we have kids and, and they don't respond in mature ways, we keep treating them like kids. Then they don't have freedom to do things around the house that they get when they become mature. And we generally judge on how mature they are by the responses that we get on things. So, can God deal with you as mature? Now, when we look at the word chasten, that's going to be in this. Of course, that doesn't bring very good visual visuals to our mind. But we'll see in the, as far as the Greek is concerned, the word chasten is far more broad than the, than the word here we have for this. Now, we, we don't have to get in this too much, but you all know we, we love, you know, there's four different words for love in the New Testament. There's three different words for life. And, and last time we were talking about receive and how many different words there were for that. And how many words do you think there are for chasing? There is one. <laughs> there is one word for chasing. Did set you up on that one, huh? Yeah, I went there and pulled out vines and I'm going to check out what this has and they got one. That's translated chasing. So we're going to take a look at this, this word in particular tonight so we can get to, to understand it. But let's read here in verse 3. That's the end where we left off last time. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. So he says, you have not resisted. That word there for resisted is only used here. And it's translated about as best you can go. It means to stand against something firmly. You have not yet stood against, stood firmly to the point of shedding blood. Striving against sin. The word striving there is, is kind of similar to the, to the word for resisted, but it means to struggle and to strive against. But you have not resisted to bloodshed. Now Christ, of course, he resisted the bloodshed. Other people that he had gone through in the previous chapter, they had resisted the bloodshed. He says, you guys haven't because you're still reading this book. <laughs> you're still alive. Is basically what he's, what he's looking at. The example again is, is in verse 3 with Christ at the cross. On his way to the cross, that he endured such hostility from sinners against himself. So we've got to make sure we, we consider him. Otherwise we can become weary and discouraged. So you have not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. There is an exhortation that spoke to them and he says, you forgot this one. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. He says, do not despise. 
the chastening of the Lord. Now this exhortation, he'll say here, speaks to them as to sons. We haven't talked about this word in a while, but we, we have talked about it in the past. And that is the Greek word huios, which means sons or mature ones. That they have many different words for child, and depending upon the word that they use, will tell you the age of the child. They have a word for newborn. They have a word for uh, uh, teenager. Uh, they have a word for for a toddler. or um, Even above that, that, I believe total, if I remember the number right, I think there's about five different words they have for the children. Each one describes a different stage. They would there, they would have there. But he says he wants to speak to you as to mature ones, we us. When he says do not despise, it means to have little regard for. Don't have little regard for or don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't despise it. Don't look, don't, don't just have little regard for it. Now how do we despise the chastening of the Lord? These are the, you don't have too many blanks in your in your outline, but this is some of them. How do we despise the chastening of the Lord? How do we despise God's chastening? Because if I'm told to not despise it, I gotta, I gotta know what it is to, to not despise it. So this word here means to have little regard for, to de-esteem, or despise. So one of the ways that we can do it is, he's already said it, you have forgotten. We can forget what it is the Lord says. That would be despising the things that God has said or the, the chasing of the Lord. Another one is to regard other things more. Sometimes we put more regard into the other things that people have said. We put more regard into what people would think about us. Uh, whatever I regard more than what God says is to, in God's mind, despise what He says. Now, we understand this because when we were young, we were told this, and maybe if you've had children, you have encountered this as well, where we have sent our children out, they know the rules, they broke the rules, and they came back, why did you break the rules? Well, Johnny's mom said it was okay. <laughs> we heard that. So basically, they esteemed Johnny's mom above what you have said. And in your mind, what is that? What is that? <laughs> no, that, that does not work here. You cannot elevate Johnny's mom over me. Johnny is, Johnny's mom is Johnny's mom. But I'm your mom. And if I said this, that's what it, it's going to be. And so we got in trouble because we honored someone else's word over the person who was directly over us. And um, we may think, well, I'll just tell them. <laughs> mom may say, you know, be home at dinner time. Well, that didn't mean be home at John's dinner time. That meant be home at your dinner time. And if your dinner time is five and John doesn't eat until six, well, John wasn't starting his meal until six. That doesn't matter. Yours starts at five. <laughs> that's the time you got to be there. So that's one way we can do it is to regard other things more. And we despise the the uh, chastening of the, the Lord that way. And sometimes we're just regarding how I feel about it more than what God says. Here's the third one. Judge it. We can despise God's chastening by judging it. How many times have you heard this? Well, I didn't, I didn't think I needed to do that. I didn't think that was important. I didn't think that's what God meant. Hmm. 
See, I judged. I took what God said and then I judged it for my situation instead of just obeying what it was that he said. That to God is, is disregarding what he has said. And here's the, the fourth one. And you might be able to add other things. I'm not telling you this is an exhaustive list. I just gave you four things here. You can start thinking about that. Probably add a fifth or a sixth to it. But the, the fourth one I wrote down here is to procrastinate. Now, we may say something is important, but am I not saying by procrastinating and putting it off that it's not important for now? Right? Uh, I'll give you a, a, a case. How many people have had to renew their driver's license recently? I mean, every four years you got to do that, right? And we know it's important. Right? Because if we get stopped and we don't have our driver's license renewed, we're, we're in trouble. We know it's important, but um, sometimes we just kind of disregard it a little bit, don't we? <laughs> and we're driving around. I've driven around with an expired license before. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's just not working yet. <laughs> I have to get on down to the place and get the picture taken and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, it's inconvenient and it can be a problem. Um, but uh, I think the, the the longest I've I've waited on I think it was about two or three months <laughs> I was going around without getting it done, and just uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you got to be careful about those things. You know, we always always say, well this time I'm going to take care of it early. But you see, sometimes we procrastinate, and by procrastinating, are we not despising or or lowering to a, a lower level? What we are deeming as important. Now, if you got pulled over and the police officer looked at your license and he says, uh, this is expired, we elevate it to a higher level. <laughs> we tell him, oh, I, I didn't know that. Uh, I, I forgot, whatever it might be. We try and do something that in his mind we're, we're elevating that to a higher level. But um, we can't do that with God. God says, I know. So we can forget. We can regard other things more. We can judge it. And we can procrastinate. But don't, he says, don't despise the chasing of the Lord. Don't do it. And don't get discouraged when you're rebuked by Him. Is what he says in this. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as the sons. My son, that speaks to you as mature ones. That they're not, not children. My son, do not despise the chasing of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. Now, since most of you didn't see the Facebook post, you also didn't see the picture that was up there. And um, just so you know, I don't just whip those things out and throw them up on, on there. It took me 15 minutes to find the right picture. Because most of the pictures that I saw that had, had this uh, verse in there used child. They all, like, they all loved the NIV translation on it. And they kept constantly putting child. I kept going down the list. Surely someone has used a better translation. Because this is how the NIV will, will uh, ver- interpret this verse and also verse 7, which is the one we put up there. They'll put child in there. It's not child, it's son. He's talking about sons. And um, so I finally just uh, gave up on trying to find something on Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. And so I just typed in the text I wanted to find and then something came up and I was able to... to no, that's, that's the one we want. That's the translation that we need on this one because it's got to stay sons because that's what the word is. It's not child. I don't know where the NIV is going. Other translations do it too. It's not just them. I don't know where they're getting child from because it's not child. Child in the Greek means something different than sons. But this, you have forgotten this, the exhortation which speaks to you as the sons. We're not speaking to you as kids here. We're speaking to you as mature ones. 
These are sons. Go over to the book of Galatians and Paul will tell you that a son is the one who has access to the inheritance. A child does not. They do not. I heard somebody just recently, I was listening last week or the week before to somebody, and I enjoy this person a lot. I won't tell you who they are. It's not someone I talk about all the time, but it's someone I thoroughly enjoy. And um, they were going over the, the verse of Scripture that talked about the adoption of sons. And they were they were saying, I don't know where he got it from. Because I, I sitting there listening and I says, all right, brother, so and so. I said, you usually research this stuff pretty well. But I said, you are off on this one. I know it. He was he was going over that the um, adoption of sons, that Paul was using a Roman concept and not a Hebrew one. Because when the Romans adopt you into sons, then um, you were actually in a, could be in a higher place than an actual son was. And use the example of the first dictator Caesar who came out of their, um, oh, I just had his name. What was, do you remember his name? Was it Julius? Was there one before that? Um, I didn't think it was Julius. I thought it was another one. It might have been Augustus. But anyway, the, uh, the Caesar was there was actually an adopted son. Was not a real genuine son. But they actually assumed the throne and they took over as a dictator, not just as the, uh, the, the leader of Rome and used them as an example in the Roman concept. Well, see, Paul wasn't using a Roman concept because we are not adopted into the family of God. We are born into the family of God. And the Hebrew concept, and I don't know why he said this wasn't a Hebrew one, because it most certainly is. The Hebrew concept is still going on today. They call it the um, uh, bar mitzvah. And what it is, it's a son placing. That's what the actual interpretation of the word. Adoption of sons is weafasiyah, which means son placing. Taking one who was a child and placing them into the position of a son. And that was a, that was a big deal. Back then, they were under, as Paul put it, they were under guardians and tutors until the time it was set. That's not a Roman concept. That is a Hebrew one. Because there to them, that becoming a son was a step. That's not Roman. That's Hebrew. So I still don't know where they they, they got it from. It's not something I'm going to write to them about. It's a... Big enough dude that he probably doesn't read his own mail anyway. <laughs> but anyway, this this concept of sons, mature ones, very much a Hebrew, Hebrew idea. We don't have it in the uh, an Americanized area. Even the bar mitzvah doesn't quite do the same thing that it had done for them in the in the previous time. But this was this speaks to them as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. So as a son, you could you could despise the chastening of the Lord. He says, but but don't do it. Don't despise it. Don't be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. If God comes down and he rebukes you, don't get discouraged, because that's telling you, hey, you're. You're in the family. <laughs> this is a good thing. You're, you're in the family. And you can be rebuked by Him. Now sometimes the concept of, of um, salvation it comes under, under um, yeah, different, different groups or different ways. In the Protestant circles, we would have two major schools of thought of which I'm a part of neither. I don't know. I, I've been in churches that have had both of them. 
But I don't subscribe to either one. I think they're both false. Now, the one comes under Calvinism, which means once saved, always saved. That once you make a commitment to Christ, you can never lose that salvation. You were always, always there. I don't believe that. I believe that you can. I don't believe that it's easy, but I, I believe that you can. The other school of thought is the Arminian uh, way of looking at things. Uh, they call it Arminianism. Calvinism, Arminianism. Now, Calvinism, of course, is in the Baptist church. And there's some other ones that, that have the, the Calvinistic ways. Arminian thought is in churches like a Wesleyan or a Methodist church. They would have the more of the Arminian looking at this. Now, those guys, what they're going to be looking at is if you are born again and you sin, you are no longer in the family of God. You need to repent before you're back in the family of God. That's what they believe. I believe that is wrong. I believe that the Calvinistic view is also wrong. I believe that you can. But you see, with, with God... When you sin, your relationship is not threatened. And the, the Arminians would, would, uh, they take it to such an extreme that they're looking at, at, uh, as that as being a problem. Now there, there have been some great Arminian, uh, preachers out there and, and they're solid on other things. I mean, the, the founder of the Wesleyan Church, not the, I'm sorry, the Methodist Church, John Wesley. John Wesley founded the Methodist Church. He didn't found the Wesleyan Church. Isn't that funny? He did not found the Wesleyan Church. He founded the Methodist Church. When the Methodist Church, when they started the Methodist Church, uh, they were called the Shot Methodist. They were the charismatics of the day. I mean, you'd go in there and they'd just be having a time in there in, in service. Just be worshiping and hooting and hollering and, and all sorts of stuff. And when they mellowed out and they got more um, respectable, there was a group of people in the Methodist Church who didn't like they became respectable. And so they broke off from the Methodist Church and they started their own. This is many years after Wesley was, was uh, dead. I don't know how many. Decades. You're looking at decades. It's a, it's a long time that this had gone on uh, before the, you know, they had, had lost all that revival part of it. So they started what was called the Wesleyan Church, which came out of the Methodist Church. But they still had the same basic doctrine ideas, the Arminian uh, school of thought. So they still had some of those things. But then they started getting, you know, they, they went off and they were the charismatics of their day. And they... They went off and they just had a good time with that. Even Baptist church. My mom tells me stories. This is when I was little. Too, too young. We were in a Baptist church. We grew up in a Baptist church. And uh, she told me in a Baptist church, it was not uncommon for them to lay hands on the sick and that they would recover. I said, man, they didn't do that when I was in the Baptist church. But maybe it depends on which Baptist church. Baptist church, there's about 200 different kinds of Baptist churches out there. <laughs> There's a whole lot of different ones, and so you know, the, the one that we were in, they apparently had um, been a little bit more uh, with that. They weren't quite into the the praying, well, Lord, if it be your will, heal her or heal him or stuff like that. They were a little more authoritative on that. But anyway, that's just a side note on on such things in in that way. But um, see, when you when you miss it, you are not kicked out of the family of God. You are still in the family of God. You can be out of fellowship, but you're in the family of God. You gotta be careful with this, especially as a parent, because some parents, you know, if you walk around the Walmart, you'll see this. Sometimes the parents threaten the relationship with the child when they disobey. 
if you hear things like, well, I'm going to take you to your grandparents and never, and we're, we're just going to leave you there. Well, that just, that's disheartening for the, the young child. I mean, they may love the grandparents, but you know, they're not mom and dad. But sometimes they will, will say things and threaten the relationship. And this is not good things to be, be doing. The, because with God, the relationship is not threatened, even though we've missed it. He'll come back and he'll chasten us. So it, this whole passage, he's telling you, you're going to have times that you miss it. You're going to have times that you step out and God gets right in there and he starts speaking to you to, to bring you back, get you in the right spot. He says, don't despise it when it happens. He's treating you as a, as a, as a son. Speaking to you as a son. So just know that just because you missed it didn't mean that you're on your way to hell and you better get saved or better get uh, repentant so you can be saved. That's, a, that's, that's not the way that it is. The Word of God talks about a, a certainty. Paul writes it as, there's an assurance we have. We have a song we sing about that. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. <laughs> Glory to God for that. There's an assurance that we're saved. And at that assurance, uh, depending on me being good all the time, being perfect, that's not an assurance. But if I miss it, then uh, he'll, he'll come down and he'll deal with me on that. So that's just a little side note I want to make sure we got into. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Now we listen, we look at that word and we get an idea from chastening that, uh, you know, there's a uh, punishment involved, that there's some, um, discipline that, uh, you know, nothing, nothing good. When I hear the word chasten, I do not think good things. I'm thinking this is uh you know might be spankings involved if you're if you're a youngin. There's going to certainly be some scolding and some some stern talking to and some maybe some threats. There's there's going to be going to be chasing. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Now, just before we get into the word chasten, this word here, if. If you endure chastening. I did all kinds of looking up on this because all I could see was that they, people were in disagreement as to whether this was in there or not. So I'm looking in Greek text and I'm looking everything that I can possibly find out on this. Is it the Nestle's text compared to uh, the majority text? Is that the difference with, with all that? Uh, where is the difference coming from? And I'm still not sure what the textual uh, reference is. Usually whenever you see something in the King James and the New King James, you don't see it in some of the modern ones. It's a Nestle's text, Dead Sea Scrolls, versus the majority text. And if I have my choice, I go with the majority text. 100% of the time. Now, most people think that the Dead Sea Scrolls are older, therefore more accurate. I don't because I know that there was a certain school of thought that influenced the uh, the writing of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And um, that's why I go with more of the majority text. But that's more textual stuff and probably more so than anyone cares to hear. <laughs> uh, but if you endure chastening, the difference here is the difference between the word uh, epsilon iota or EI, which is if... Or whether there's a sigma or an S at the end of that, which changes the if into into or unto. 
if you endure chastening. Now the, um, see where I put it. If I, I went over to Weist, and he's adamant that the, uh, it's the EIS. It's, uh, into. And how it changes it is it's no longer a conditional statement. If you do this, it's, it's no longer a conditional thing. It's uh, more of a command. And he puts it this way. It is for the purpose of discipline, correction, and guidance that you are enduring. So just keep that in mind. We'll get into some of how that impacts the translation here in just a little bit. But the word here, chastening, is kind of a interesting front. The word for child is the Greek word padion. The Greek word here for chastening, I, I put it in, there's actually two ways to, um, to, to write this, and I am more familiar with the, the second way that I apparently didn't write down. Uh, the way I the put in your outline there is paideo, padeuo, which means, I didn't put it in Greek, I'm trying to do it from the English. I think that's how it's. Uh, the other way that I'm more familiar with is paideia, paideia. Which, I think one is a noun and one is a verb. Is uh, what I have uh, deduced from that. And so you're going to see this in a couple of different places. This particular form, I wrote that down for you in your outline. It means to train up a child or educate or discipline by, by punishment, chastening, instruction, learning, and teaching. This word is used in verse 6, verse 7, and verse 10 here in, in Hebrews. Thirteen times it is used in the New Testament. Thirteen total times it's used in the New Testament. It's used a few times for the chastening of Jesus before the cross. And you know, that wasn't pleasant. They weren't doing anything pleasant there. There was nothing beneficial as far as their exhortation of that upon Jesus. Uh, it was the chastening, the scourging, the uh, beating, so forth. That's what was, was going on. In Acts chapter 7 though, in verse 22, these are not in your outline, they were, but I had to eliminate a lot of stuff. There just wasn't enough room. If you go up online later on, the uh, one that's going to be showing up online that I usually put up with the podcast, that one's going to have a lot more notes on it than this one you have in your hand. And I believe these verses are I left on it. So you can you don't have to write down the references if you want to go up and get them there. But Acts 7.22, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. This same word is translated learned here. Now we don't get the idea from that one that there was beatings involved. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. What this says is, when Moses was taken into that family from a very young age, he's just a couple months old, and as he was growing up, they, they taught him and instructed him in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. All the ways that they knew how to do things. He was instructed this. I'm told he knew three languages when he, uh, when he came out of there. He was learned in, in these things. They taught him this. So this is part, this word chastise is used right here in this, in this verse. This is Stephen in his message and his preaching that he's doing. Stephen is using this word. Acts 23 and verse 3. I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. So you know that's Paul. But brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught, there's that word, according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you are all here today. You, you all are today. So there again, it's used in such a way of a bringing up, a rearing of the things of the law. 
in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 32. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. Now there we see more of a negative concept of it. That we may not be condemned with the world. Now see that verse right there tells you, you as a believer, you could be condemned with the world. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Second Timothy 2, verse 25. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Well, there, there's no beatings involved. There's no punishment involved. There's just uh, an in- instruction in humility, correcting through instruction those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. It's really in verse 12 that we see it, but I wanted to see the context here of 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. There's that word. Teaching us. The grace of God comes in and teaches us. Now, when we have the grace of God involved, we're not looking necessarily at punishment and discipline and uh, the negative sides of chastising. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. In Revelations 3, verse 19, this is the last one. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. This is God speaking. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Well, rebuke would be the negative side, wouldn't it? Well, do we need to put a double negative in there? As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, or I train up. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So this chasing involves teaching, training, correction, discipline, punishment, and chastising. That's all involved in this word. Just like uh, if you're going to bring up a child, you don't just spank a child to get them to go in the right direction, do you? You can't just get out there and spank them and get them to go in the direction they're supposed to go in. That's That's not going to help them. That's, you're going to frustrate that child. You're going to put a barrier between you and them. There's got to be other things that you do as well. So the whole, this whole word is talking about the good side and the bad side. I want to take a look at the other, the one I didn't write down, noun or verb. But in 2 Timothy 3.16, we have the, uh, uh, paideia, which is, it comes from this word we just were looking at. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, there's that word, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. This particular word means education or training, a definition that's uh, written down by this. By implication, disciplinary correction. Chastening, chastisement, instruction, or nurturing. I wrote down this definition from another other spot too. It means to provide instruction with the intent of forming proper habits of behavior, of providing guidance for responsible living, of rearing and guiding a child toward maturity. Padea is a broad term signifying whatever parents and teachers do to train correct, cultivate, and educate children in order to help them develop and mature as they ought. At one end of the spectrum, it describes a training that occurs by teaching, instructing, educating, or nurturing. 
and at the other end of the spectrum, the training that occurs by utilizing correction and punishment if necessary, which is usually, which it usually is for children as part of the training or child rearing process, bringing them to maturity. So it has a very broad spectrum of use. And really, the word contains all of that. doesn't mean you have to just limit it to one side. We're looking at all of these things being involved, that the chasing of the Lord is not just discipline and correction. It's also training. It's also instruction. It's also teaching. This is what the Lord does. So when the Lord speaks these things to us, He says, don't despise it. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Phillips translates... This verse this way, bear what you have to hear as chastening, as God's dealing with you as sons. Bear what you have to bear as chastening, as God's dealing with you as sons. No true son ever grows up uncorrected by his father. We, his whole translation of this is this way. It is for the purpose of discipline, correction, and guidance that you are enduring, as those who by nature are sons is God dealing with you. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline, correct, and God? The idea here is don't get out from under whatever God does in training you. Don't get out from under it. Stay there. Stay under it. Because whom the Lord loves, He chastises. He trains. He instructs. He disciplines. Those that He loves, this is what He does for them. Don't get out from under it. Wherever that is going on, stay there. God deals with you as the sons or as mature ones in this way. Well, let's go on with verse 6. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? And we saw with David sometimes, he did not chasten as much as he should have. And he uh, reaped some of the results of that. The Word of God was very clear. That he had not uh, done his uh, due diligence there as a father. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate, not sons. So again, don't be discouraged because of the chastening. Don't be discouraged because of the training that comes in. Be encouraged because that means you're in a family. And he's basically saying there is not a single person on the face of this earth who is a son of God that has not endured this. We all have. God has instructed us. God has corrected us. God has moved us on. Don't despise it. Don't look down upon it. But what if we refuse to endure? What if we decide, I'm not going to endure this. I'm going to move out from under it. I don't like all this instruction. I don't like all this training. I don't like, like God speaking to me that I'm not doing something right. I think I did do it right. I don't like what God said there. I don't agree with that. I've judged that to be not not correct. <laughs> I've judged me to be to be uh, to be good in this area. Hmm. Well, um, Hebrews chapter twelve, verse nine. Let's read that. Furthermore, we have had few human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. 
Now, in case that's blind to you at all, here in verse 10, if you're not quite understanding what he's saying, for they indeed, speaking of earthly fathers, for a few days chastened us. Well, by comparison, you know, they, they, uh, after a while you came out from underneath mom and dad, and they didn't have that role of chastening you in the same way. You were grown up, you have to get out there and do things on your, on your own. But they indeed, for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. In other words, their perspective was limited. Sometimes as parents, our perspective has been limited in what we have seen going on. How many times have you been out at the, at the store, walking around in the mall? Or maybe you're hanging out at the Walmart. It's always a good place to see it. And you can watch a whole situation unfold. You can see the brother and sister. You can see the, the kids acting up. And you can see who instigated it. And you can see who responded. And you can see when mom and or dad come over. And what their mom and dad see. And then you can hear the results that mom and dad dis- decide to uh, chasten. And you can be sitting back there. You got that wrong. You got that wrong. You disciplined the wrong one. They weren't the one that was the trouble. Have you ever been in a place and have you seen that? You're looking at, they, you got the wrong one. I mean, you're saying this on the inside. You don't, you don't have the right to go out there and to say it to them. But on the inside, you got the wrong one. You didn't do this right. My grandfather was great for this. Because he would sit back out on the, on the porch when we were down to shore. He would sit out on the, on the porch or he'd come up on the boardwalk with us and he wouldn't walk around with us the, the whole time. He'd walk around for a little bit, but then he'd sit down and he'd just be happy to sit there and just watch people. And afterwards we'd get all the stories. And he would tell us all the stories of what would happen and what so and so did and, and, uh, cause he just sat there as an observer. And he'd watch the whole thing unfold. And he'd watch what kind of actions the people would take. And he'd just relate it all. And he never related to us in a way that he judged one person or another for what they did. He just would be laughing there and said, then they thought that this was going on, but it wasn't. It was actually this. <laughs> he just had a ball just watching people and observing. That's, uh, that's what he did. But, you know, I, th- I've, I see that sometimes now. And sometimes you, you think going back when your own kids were growing up. Oh, how much did I miss? How many times did I say something and I had the wrong culprit? And I thought this one was the one. And, but, you know, you do as best as you see. Because that's as far as you can go. You do as best as you can as you can see. But we have to understand that as uh, earthly parents, we can fail. But what he's saying here is, as earthly parents, we can fail. But God has a whole different perspective. And nobody gets anything by him. And not only that, he is not going after this for just a few days. His whole thing is not just even your whole life. He's looking at your all eternity. He is looking at what's good for you down here while you're young. What's good for you when you're old. And what's good for you in the kingdom to come. And he's instructing you on how it'll be good for you here and there. Because he's got the whole thing. The view of the whole thing. And he's not blind to what other people are doing in your life. He sees it. But he still knows what's the best thing for you to do. But just don't, don't despise it. Yield to it. It's up to us to yield to it. 
Let's read that again. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. We paid respect to people whose viewpoint was limited. Whose authority over our life was for a very short period of time and who could not have the good for our overall eternal plan as God does. We paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of Spirits and live? If I subjected myself to earthly fathers and mothers, how much more should I be in subject to the Father, Father God? How much more should I respect Him? And when He speaks something to me, don't despise it, but elevate it. For they, they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but He for our profit that we may be partakers of His holiness. Verse 11. Now no chastising seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. (laughs) Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now we've had some of these conversations, you know, with with our kids. Uh, Probably more my my daughter than my my son because we don't see him as much. But you know, we would we'd be talking about this sort of thing and. And um, I, you know, my uh, my son, we I, I had to spank. I wouldn't say often, but it was it was not an uncommon occurrence. <laughs> That's just uh, what he responded to better when he was when he was young. He just did better to the to that type of thing than other others. Whereas with my daughter, I can probably count the spankings on one hand. It was it was rare that we had to get to that level. And you know, you don't just do a spanking because, well, you just bank, you know, it has to be effective. And, um, you know, I, I didn't just, you, you, when I was around in the house, you didn't just disobey and I take your money and spank you. That never happened. Oh no, we drug it out. Oh no, this was an event. Yes, sir. You know, we'd, uh, uh they knew it was coming, but, um, it may not come just yet. So you have to anticipate. And that's a whole lot worse. <laughs> but I knew that. And so I would let them anticipate. Plus, you know, if, sometimes you can be angry that the thing occurred and you don't want to spank when you're angry. You never want to do that. And, uh, you know, you make yourself calm down and, and, uh, and, and get in there and, and take care of it. I remember one time with my son, I mean, he was real little in, in there and, he, we were just having a time with him sticking his tongue out. Just constantly at, at us. <laughs> Parents. I mean, not just other people. At us. And so, um, you know, my wife and I, we differed on, on some of the ways of doing things. And she liked, well, we'll give him a time out and we'll speak to him and so forth. And so, you know, I agree with it. And we went on that for a little while. But it wasn't changing his behavior. And I remember the, to this day, I can still remember this one. And we had uh, a home group over at our church. So we had a lot of church people over there. And he had pulled this, this little bit. Now again, he's real little. He's real, real little. I mean, you're, I think three or four, some, somewhere around there. He's just real, real little. And so he did that. He, uh, he stuck his tongue out at one of us. And, and I think it was his, his mom, if I may be wrong on that, but I think that's what it was. And so she had him go and sit on, we had a uh, finished basement at this particular house in, in Hatfield. And he was sitting on the top step looking down. And so um, I was watching him, 
keeping an eye on what was, what was going on. And I remember he turned his head around and real quick went. <laughs> well, at that point, I didn't leave this up for debate. And so I went over to the step. I scooped him up. Because again, he's only three or four. You know, just scooped him up. And I hand him over to his mom. Just like this. Just put him over here. Says, kiss her goodnight. And so he started crying. And, and she started looking. Oh no, you know. You gotta kiss her goodnight. This is it. <laughs> and so after that, I carted him upstairs. We took care of that. And he was done for the night. And, um, that's just what you had to do with, with him. There had to be a little bit more of a, uh, show of force in order to get him to respond. And I can think of a few more things like that that until we did the, the show of force, he just didn't change the behavior. Now my daughter, on the other hand, was just completely different. She just, she was so brokenhearted that she, she uh, disappointed you that you didn't have to go to that level. Just her knowing that, uh, you know, she didn't meet up with expectation on something, which just broke her heart. And, uh, that was enough. And so you can, you can take a look at how we dealt with one, how we dealt with the other is unfair. No, it's what was necessary. Unfair is when you do something that's not necessary to just to, to even things up. And so that's how it was. And, but, you know, the chasing that we do, it's, even that God does for us, it's not pleasant. Now see, that wasn't pleasant for, for my son, some of the things we, my daughter went through and discipline, it wasn't pleasant for them. Some of the things I went through, you want to talk about discipline. <laughs> I mean, I, I was a son who actively attempted to push my mother's buttons. It was, I went after it. I, I know how to do it. <laughs> I remember sometimes she would, she would give me a spanking and she put everything that she had into it. And I determined, if I don't show her this hurts, that'll get her. And so um, she told me years later how that affected her and what it was. But I said, oh, she's not going to know that this that hurt. No. No. Don't hurt at all. <laughs> I just, that's terrible. Neither one of my kids did that to us. Neither one of them did that to us. My mom was very disappointed that, that, <laughs> that we did not get that same thing going on there. Um, but, you know, no chastening at the time seems to be... Joyful seems to be pleasant. And uh, we don't just think about this as, as discipline and stuff because this word is far broader than just discipline and punishment and so forth. And it's just like if you're going to get involved in an exercise program and you go to a gym and you have a personal trainer, he is going to do things in your workout regimen that are not pleasant. And you're going to come out of there and you're going to be sore. And it's not going to be you're not going to like it a whole lot. Isn't that right? How many have ever been through that? Ever had a personal trainer? Somebody who uh, had you do some things? <laughs> That's all you needed one time? Not going back again. But when we get involved in these things, we have certain things we want to do in, in diet. And we have certain things that we want to do as far as working out. And I, 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 you know, we can put a picture up there. That's what I want to look like. We can have that picture. There's the, there's the joy at the end. But for right now, there's going to be some pain. And, um, you know, that sometimes we can, we can, you look at the Rocky movies. I watch the Rocky movies and I see the work, I love the workout scenes. I sometimes just go up on YouTube and let me see a workout scene. You know, um, I forget, uh, Rocky 2, I think, and Rocky 4. 
some of my favorite workout scenes. Rocky one, eh, it's okay. They're they're okay, but I I like them a little bit more modernized. And and Rocky four, I still I sometimes just go back and just just played in the barn doing the inverted sit ups. I mean, remember that inverted sit ups and the trainer punching his stomach every time he came up. Yeah, that was a Drago one. Um, I'd see that, up and some people would 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 pull back. From, I said, "Oh, that's good." Yeah, I I pull that up and just look at that and say, "All right, let's go out for a run now." <laughs> I'd get excited at that sort of stuff. This it didn't discourage me. It uh, you know I was one of those those kind of. Once well, I finally learned it, um, I had to limit myself. I was it was never discouraging to go out there and do do miles, and to and to run hard. That wasn't the problem. The problem was I'd want to do too many. But it, it wasn't something that I did off, right off the bat. Junior high school, I didn't like to run. In fact, I went out for the track team, hated it. Despised the track team. Got to do that anymore. And then something changed. And then something happened. And all of a sudden, I began to, to like that. Um, but even even though I liked it, it's not joyful. If it was joyful, I would be doing something wrong. If you're going to go through the training that God has for you, it's probably not going to be joyful. You're going to be going through and studying the Word. Oh, yeah, I need to change. Oh, right there. That's what I need to do. I don't like it, but that's what I need to do. I need to fix that. I need to get that going in my life. Oh, I have let this area over here lapse. Oh, why have I let that area lapse? Oh, yes, that's what I need to do. But you see, it's it's speaking good things to me. And so even though it kind of hurts, I'm encouraged. Oh, this is good. This is good. Yeah, this is what I need. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for showing me that I've I've uh, lapsed on this area over here, and I need to get this thing going. Oh, oh yes, I see that. I've gotten I've got angry too many times. I've gotten selfish too many times. I've gone after my own plan instead of going after your plan. I've uh, I've not done this. I've been going after whatever it might be, and God shows it to you. Oh, thank you, Father, for that. Thank you for that. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Now, whatever you're doing as far as this word is concerned, there is really very little that you're going to do that's not painful. Because either you were, you were engaged in training, which, you know, training is good. You're not, it's not necessarily punishment, but there are some punishing things that go on in the area of training in order to, to get you to be better. But it's not, it's not pleasant at the time, but because of what we have at the end, we, we continue on. So no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields that peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's, a, that's what we need to do. You know, you get those people that have the, the, the great workout thing. We have the show that we like to watch on TV. I don't know if any of you have seen this. Um, <clears throat> the best music of any show that I know of. Uh, how many of you like to watch the show SWAT? Anybody watch that? They got a new make of that, but they kept the song, the show song, exactly the same from the original SWAT. And I love that song. Oh, that is just, I could just, whenever we go through there, we always have it recorded. I never fast forward that. I'm playing it. I want to hear that again. I like that song. That's one of my, my favorite ones for that. But they have a, the, the main character in that. I forget his name. Anybody remember his, what is it? Yeah, there it is. Shamar Moore. I mean, if you want to put somebody out there for here is what you can look like if you work out. Right? I mean, he's the guy that you'd put up there. I mean, wow. 
His arms are, are sculpted. I mean, his abs are... I mean, how many times do they do this show and he's got his shirt off? <laughs> but I... But... Is, but um, he's just a nice guy too. I just enjoy him as a, whatever the character he's doing. But I mean, that's what you want to say. If I do what he does, <laughs> I can look like that, right? But you see, we, we start doing the things that he does. Oh man, this, I am sore. Oh man, he, what's he doing? <laughs> and we can get kind of discouraged at that. And I, I want that end result, but I don't necessarily want to pay this price. I want to get there just no automatically. Can I have take a pill? You know, is there some surgery that I can go through and just uh, and just get that thing? But the the things you have to go through they don't seem to be pleasant. They're painful, but afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If you will submit yourself to be trained by it. Now that word there for trained, in some translations they put it exercise, it comes from the Greek word uh, gumazo. We get our word gymnasium from it. Because what goes on in a gym is painful. There's training that goes on in that, in that gym. And we get our, our word from it on that. Because what's going on short term if I endure it, if I stay under it, if I don't remove myself from the chastening of the Lord, then the end result will be that picture that I want to see. This is, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to, I, I want to get into. This is how it, uh, the end result I want it to be. Now. Put this in their outline. These are all just blank lines. You can write down what you want because there's no way I could fit them in there. <laughs> these are some of the ones that if you go up online later on, you can see them all written down if you miss any of these. But the way that God's trained us, I'm just giving you five things here. It might be that you find some other things, but I'm just writing down five things for each of these, these categories. So the ways God trains us through His, and the first one is written word. The Bible, this is where we get the commands of God from. So the, God trains us through His Word. He trains us through His spoken Word. The Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to us the things that God, God has to say to us. The third one is the ways God trains us through His gifts. I put in parentheses in this, the fivefold ministry. So we have the written word, or parentheses, the Bible. Spoken word, parentheses, the Spirit. Gifts, parentheses, fivefold ministry. These are, these are ones through, through which God trains us. Fourth one, His servants. These are fellow believers, I put in parentheses. And fifth, opposition. Persecution, trials. Things like that. So, God trains us through His written word, His spoken word, His gifts, and His servants. And then He can even use opposition that comes against us as part of the training. Just like in the natural, 
Opposition will be part of the training. If you're going to be a runner, you go out and you race against opposition. If you're a soccer player, you go out and you play soccer against other teams. That team wants to win, you want to win. It's that the opposition that helps train you. So these are some, some of the ways that God trains us. Uh, now through these, we receive some things. And I gave you five things here we can receive. First off, one of the things we receive, we receive commands to obey. I receive commands from God to obey. And my obedience to those commands is part of my training. And God will speak commands to me. Now, some of the commands I have when I'm younger are not the commands that I have when I'm older. You know, when your kids are, are young, you'll give them certain commands. But uh, when they get older, you may change them up. You may not want your three-year-old washing the, dish, the dishes. That could be proved to be a little disastrous. But you know, when they get to be teenagers, you may want to have them do some things that they wouldn't have done before as part of their training. So there's commands to obey. Second is missions to accomplish. We receive missions to accomplish. God will say, I want you to do this. And those missions can be all kinds of things. He may assign you people that you need to, to, to do some things with, to help or to, to, to bring through. Sometimes he gives us some people we don't like to have assignments with. But God will give us missions to accomplish. The third thing, he gives us promises to believe. He puts promises in his word. He'll speak promises to us for the purpose of which for us to believe. Because if I take those promises and believe them, it's part of my training. Because when I learn to believe these promises, then I can get out there later on and believe some other promises. Because some promises are easier to believe than others. Look at Abraham's life. He had some promises that were a piece of cake for him to believe and other ones that took 25 years. Promises to believe. The fourth is callings to fulfill. Through these methods that we gave you before, I've received commands to obey, missions to accomplish, promises to believe, and callings to fulfill. That God will give us a calling. When I fulfill that calling, when I'm walking in that calling, He may come and He may add another calling to it. He may take that calling away. He may give you another one. Or he may keep you in that one and then put another one on top of that. There's a calling to fulfill. And here's the, the fifth one. Battles to win. He will send us out to some battles for the purpose of us achieving victory. Now, some of those battles in the beginning may be small battles. But by me winning those small battles, I can then get ready for, for bigger battles. Example like with with David, he went out there and, and battled some small battles. And then he got into some bigger battles. He got into lions and bears. And then he got into giants. And then he got into whole armies. There were battles to win. Now there are many reasons that will come to your mind leading you to despise these things. To think less of them. Remember, despise doesn't mean that you just disdain it. It just means that I'm not regarding it as highly as I ought to. Other things I'm regarding more. I may not regard His written word as much as I used to. Maybe I'm not reading it as much. I may not be listening in the Spirit to hear the things that He was saying to me like I was before. The fivefold ministry gift. I may write them off. Oh, they're all crooks. 
Sometimes people we hear people say, well, I'm not under any pastor. I don't believe in any of that stuff. We get out from underneath the fivefold ministry. We get to a place where servants, we despise them. Well, I don't go to any church filled with a bunch of hypocrites. People in the church, they just let me down. You see, it gets us to despise them. But these are the ways that God trains us. There are many reasons that will come to you. They'll come to your mind leading you to despise these things. But you must endure. You've got to stay with it. Stay under those things that God has put you um, put you under. Um, Galatians, again, talks about the child being trained. He is under tutors. You are under some things that God has put you under for the purpose of training. And it will benefit you. It will help you if you stay under it. If you move out away from it, it will not benefit you. You will lose that which you had. And because you did not endure, you didn't get to what God wants you to have. Now just to read ahead, because this is all really one chapter here. In verse, verse 12, we're not going to get into this. I just want you to see it. In verse 12, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down. It's going to be what? Three weeks till we get back here and do this thing. <laughs> Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. See, you're underneath the training and you're getting weak. Your arms are getting tired. Been standing here under this for a while. My knees are getting kind of shaky. My hands are not, they're not out, out there engaged anymore. They're at my sides because they're, they're tired. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people. You see, when you get out of this, you're not pursuing peace with all people. You only pursue peace with a few or some. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, we're going to show you some things on that verse that will really open up your eyes and what he's talking about here. But we'll have to wait for a couple weeks on that. <laughs> Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble. When you get bitterness that rises up inside you, it will cause trouble. You may think you are perfectly justified for having that bitterness, but you are not. You will come into, you will have some trouble. We, uh, worship team, we went through a book that brother Rick Renner wrote on this. And he spent a, a bit of time here on the root of bitterness. If anybody wants that book, uh, I can su- suggest it to you. Um, i trying to think of the, what, what do you put in there the title? You remember that? It's a hardback book. You can get it off Amazon. I think we still have one or two copies around here. Yeah, you you can get over it. I think that's what it was. So if you want a nice book to to read, you haven't read that one yet, pick that one up. Rick Renner, you can get over it. Because when bitterness gets in between you and another believer, between you and a fivefold ministry gift, between you and the Lord, between you and the Spirit of God, whatever it is that God has, bitterness can come in. And when bitterness comes in, and, and it will. How many people do you know out there that are bitter against God because God let this happen? They're bitter against certain uh, uh, preachers, pastors, ministers that have come across in their life because this happened. They're bitter against certain people in the body of Christ because they did this. Whatever it might be. 
But that root of bitterness spring up. It will cause trouble. You do not have to wonder. If bitterness comes up in your life, it will cause you trouble. Don't doubt it. The Word of God is telling you this. Lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Defiled. Understand that. Not only is it going to cause trouble in your life, you become defiled because of this bitterness. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Now can you see where there was a lack of endurance in his area? That as far as the chasing of the Lord, as far as the admonition, as far as the training that was going on with Esau, he didn't yield to it. His opinion was right. His way was right. God's way was useless. And he went his own way. And it caused him trouble. And even though he wanted to change his mind later on and pursue those things, there there was no place for him to do it. So we'll be getting into those things. But I just wanted to see the uh, the context of all that because really these things flow together. But I knew there's no way we're going to get into <laughs> all that here without rushing through something that I just didn't want us to to rush through. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the exhortations that you give us on a regular basis. And Father, we want to be submitted to your chastising, your training, to the instruction that you give us, to the words that you speak to us, the things that you have put in our, in our life, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the fivefold ministry gifts that we have, other believers that are around and the opposition that we face every day. These things are all here and they were are part of our training. You have accounted even for the role of the enemy in our life. Just as we saw that with Paul, we saw that with Jesus, that the role that the enemy played was actually part of their training because they had victory over it. Jesus said in the wilderness, in the temptations, and how many other times did the devil tried to pull him down? And Paul, this thorn of the flesh, messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him. And the other things that we see that came against him on a regular basis as part of their training. Father, I thank you that we are being trained up by all the things that go on around us. And we will not despise the chastening of the Lord. But we will receive all the benefit that that training has. And though it may not be pleasant for us in the short term, in the right now, I thank you. Though our focus is on the long term and what happens down the road. We give you the glory and the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Any comments, questions, anything to add? Everybody got all your blanks? Um, I know many of us have probably heard something uh, regarding the um, opposition that comes against us. And in some teaching, um, people will look at things that actually the enemy is bringing into their life and say, well, that's a trial or that's a test. Uh Uh-huh. And so uh, I know this is not just like a one <clears throat> uh, answer type thing, but what's a good way for us to determine if this is indeed uh, part of the uh, 
Yes. The, yes. The, some the people training. were trying to say this came. The enemy may have brought this sickness or disease on me. The enemy may have yeah, brought this, but it's here to teach me a lesson. Or, yes. No. The only ways in the example in the Word of God that we have in which the uh, things that came from the enemy's camp, the only way they had success in the person's life is when the person resisted it and pushed it away. That's the only way that it did. There is no case in the Word of God where something that the enemy had was accepted as this is from God, this is for me to have. Uh, even Paul with the thorn of the flesh, every, he asked for God to remove it and God says, no, my grace is sufficient. That didn't mean you're going to endure this, you're going to bear it. It meant when you go in there, the grace I have is greater than that opposition that comes against you. And what we saw with Paul is though the opposition came against him and every place he went, he started a church and the grace of God was greater than the opposition that came against him. And he had victory over it and won. Oh, yeah. Uh, David was raised up. Saul was raised up to take on the opposition that came against Israel. That was her, that was her role. Saul was, came on as king to defeat the Philistines. In the book of Judges, every judge that came up had the purpose of defeating the enemy that had come up and oppressed Israel. That was their purpose. Go out there and have the victory over it. Um, the, um, <clears throat> Gideon, when he came up, his, his goal was not go out there and, uh, you know, just let them oppress you and, and beat on you for a while. No, no, no. Go out there and have the victory. Go out there. We're going to wipe these people out. They came to get you. Go out there and wipe them out. They came. They had the opportunity because children of Israel missed God, which gave an opportunity for the enemy to come in and to, and to steal and to, to, to take some of the stuff that you got. That's not God's purpose. Never is God's purpose. Not from the Word of God. Sometimes our own experience. Sometimes our own... Uh, we, we justified it. But that's not the way that God does it. His, his idea is, no, go out there and have the victory. He wants you to have victory over the enemy because the Word of God says that the enemy is under our feet. But for a lot of Christians, the enemy is over them. And how I operate underneath the enemy is producing patience or is producing this and so forth. We are never called to be under the enemy. We're called to be under God. The enemy is called to be under us. And any other uh, way that that is going to come about is, is wrong. The enemy wants to come and convince us that we should be under him. And he has done that in the Word of God. He has done that to some people. But that's not the way it's supposed to go. You're supposed to get above that. Gideon, in the beginning, was under the enemy. And God comes out to him and says, Mighty man of valor. (laughs) And he says, "Uh -uh." (laughs) Uh-uh. He sure didn't feel like that. But God saw him as a mighty man of valor. But he just wasn't operating that way. And so God got him to a place where he was operating that way and operated as a mighty man of valor and and took out the enemy. In the, in the meantime, we're supposed to take out the enemy. The enemy is not supposed to be oppressing us and putting us under. That's not the goal. But the enemy wants to convince us that we are to be under him and to take what he has given us. No, I take what God has given us. Whatever the enemy throws at me, we, th- we throw that off. We bounce that off. That's not for us to be, to be taken. If you were a soccer player, your training is not so that the other, ke- other team can score a goal. Your training is so that your team scores more goals than their team does. That's the whole idea of the training. If that other team scores a goal, it means somebody on your team didn't do their job. That they were better performance than the people on your team. That's what it would mean. Then that's, we're not supposed to operate in the kingdom of God that way. Our training is superior to that of the enemy. But we're not always walking like that. 
So is that does that make it more clear? I should have cleared that up. And Stand against whatever the enemy does. You're given the book of Ephesians. You are given the armor of God to stand against the wiles of the enemy, not to accept them. The arm, the armor of God is to defend against what the enemy wants to put on us. And nowhere in that description of the armor is there a place where we accept what the enemy does. We are always to defend against it. Because whatever the enemy wants to do to us is contrary to the plan of God. Whatever he wants to do, it's not God's plan. He is against the things of God. So he's not going to do things to help the kingdom of God along. So, yeah, I like that. Good question. Stephen has a question. Yeah. What is the difference between God testing us, for example, Job, and God chastising us? That was your question, too? Mm-hmm. Instruction is more chastening than the trials and tribulations that people always call. You know, well, the book of Job is very misunderstood. Um, I wouldn't be able to get in all the stuff with Job here tonight, but I can spend time on Job if we ever want to down the road just to re- re- refresh that because it's a good question that Stephen brings up because Job was always looked at that God was behind it. God was not, it's, it's, some of it is just a bad translation. There's a lot that is just poorly translated in the King James and New King James Bible. They, they translated that horribly. That interaction between Satan and God does not happen according to the Hebrew. It does not happen the way it's written in our Bible. So uh, if that's new to you, you know, maybe we'll spend some time on that. And I don't know, we can, I don't mind spending time on it now before we go into the rest of this. If that's something that we all have questions with because we need to understand it. A lot of times we think, well, God saw all this, so God put death of his kids, loss of income, all this upon him. God did not do it, and the Bible doesn't say that he did, but the King James and the New King James translation, even I love the New King James translation, they both leave that possibility open. But if you go back to the Hebrew, it closes the door on it. It does not happen the way that most people think that it did. Because again, the Bible was not written in English. It was written in Hebrew. It was translated. So whatever we, we read is a translation of it. So um, if, if that's something, you know, um, let me know. Put some comments out there, uh, either up on Facebook. We can get into it. Because I'd rather you know what Job, what happened with Job than to be wondering. Because there's a lot of people who look at that and say, well, I, I need to have these negative things go on in my life. And then God sometimes will take these things from me and God sometimes will put these things on because it happened to Job. And I understand why people come out with it because I can read in my Bible the same, the same thing. But the interaction that goes on between God and Satan over Job is so poorly translated. Every time I go over, I just, I, I just, I cringe on the inside. But I've gone over it enough times that when I read it, I read the, the way it's supposed to go. 
So let me know if that's any question. We can just stop what we're doing here in Hebrews and just kind of pursue this. And just, it only take me, probably wouldn't take me more than a week. I don't think it would take me two weeks. Probably just take a week, uh, one, I mean one Sunday, one Wednesday night. And we can go out there and we can, we can eliminate that. Because if you saw the interaction that went on between God and, 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 um, uh, Satan. If you see the actual interaction that is said between these two, it takes away most of the interpretation that people have in the area of Job and how that, how that occurred. So that's, uh, that's a good thing to, to look at. But the enemy wants to put us under, uh, tests and trials. Certainly, that are that are wrong. Now, Jesus was led out into the wilderness. See, Jesus is a better example than Job, because it says the Spirit of God led him out into the wilderness, where he fasted for forty days. Now, he did not get led out into the wilderness, and was tempted for forty days. He was led out in the wilderness and fasted for forty days. At the end of that forty days, the enemy came and tested him. So God. Contrary to what people think, God did not lead Jesus into a place of tempting. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for a time of fasting to build him up and get him ready for what he's coming. At the end of it is when the enemy came. And that's not my interpretation. Go back and look at it. At the end of those days, he hungered. And the enemy said, Turn these rocks into bread. Well, what good is that going to do at the beginning? It said at the end of the 40 days he was hungry. Most of us would think somewhere along the way we became hungry and we kind of put that interpretation over it that the temptation was along those 40 days. He came at one point, one time at the end and he failed. He was not successful. <laughs> so anyway, there's, there's, I don't think I've quite gotten to all of Steve's question here yet. And it's a good question. That's, um, I'm glad he asked that because that's that's a that's a that's a question a lot of people can can have. If I don't understand what tests and trials are, where they come from, then I'm I'm likely to to just yield to them. And if I yield to it, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna resist it. Yeah, you should just take them. Yeah. Why are you going to fight against it? If, it's, if you believe that this test or this trial is from God, you just might as well sit there and take it. Like you said, why take medicine? Just so. Yeah, it's like if you believe the sickness is from God, yep. don't go to the doctor. Don't go to the doctor. Just hang out with it. Yep. Why would you go Why would you fight against the, the plan of God? Oh, I know. It's, I, that's I, there. So we may have to spend... We may have to spend more time on, on that. So, um, I don't know. Anybody want to go over Job? All right, we're going to go. Uh, if you can put that out there, and oh, they're probably hearing it. <laughs> we can do this then. Instead of going on to the next sec- section of, of, it really ties in with this. I mean, we're going to have to review all this stuff. I can just take a week out, and we can go over Job, and uh, and see the because I, I want you to see it from the Hebrew, from the interaction that goes on there, because it isn't what it what it looks like. Tell me if this is not what you think. Satan said, "Where were we at? Oh, I was out walking around the earth." Uh, did you take a look at my servant Job? I mean, he's really good. He's bragging on on that, right? Isn't that what he's? Doesn't that what he say, sounds like? Well, yeah, he's, but he only serves you because you give him good things. All right, well, go ahead and take those good things away from him. He'll still serve me. How many think that's what Job? What happens with Job? That is not what happened at all. It is so far from what happened in the interaction between God and Satan. But that's the impression that we have, and that's the. Translation we are left with in the King James and New King James Bible. 
and is most unfortunate. But that is not what happened in the interaction between these two. So, um, right, right I know I could stay here. Else. It's just a. <laughs> we won't wait till next year. We'll yeah. Be here all day. yeah, that's it. We don't want. Why don't we do that one? So if we'll we'll spend time that on on that. We'll go over Job, and let y'all know. We're not going to go over the whole book. We're just looking at the interaction between God and Job, the loss of Job's stuff, and there, maybe we'll probably get to the, the, the restoration of it. We'll do something like that. Any other questions that came up? I, I'm, Steve, I'm sure I didn't answer your question. What I'll probably try and do is when we're going over Job is I'll answer that question a little more thoroughly on, on that one because we'll actually show uh, the stuff that's there. But um, yeah, we're not making an, enough of a distinction between those those two things and um and we're certainly good so i'm glad steve asked that one okay. appreciate that this is chad